You are listening to Prime Focus. Prime Focus is a radio program sponsored by the IHW Foundation. Music on today's episode is sponsored by the Alliance of Women Film Composers. To learn more about Prime Focus, the IHW Foundation, the Alliance of Women Film Composers, please visit our website at www.inherwords.org. This is Prime Focus, a radio talk show about women in the film of cinema and other media platforms. I am your host, Sonia Dunn. Welcome to today's show. Prime Focus will set its focal point on two individuals in two different fields of media who are scholars that are shaping the minds and current and future critical thinkers and creators in the film and media industry. Laurie Shear and Garland Waller. Plus, we will let you know what movies are coming out, which ones you should be on the lookout for, and the latest industry news in the field of film, media, and entertainment. You're listening to the music of composer Laura Cartman from the Steven Spielberg's 2003 miniseries Taken. It is called Artemis. We'll be hearing more music from this four-time Emmy-winning composer throughout today's show on Prime Focus. Our guest today on Prime Focus is Laura Shear. She is a former Vice President of Programming for WE, Women's Entertainment. She has worked as an assistant, D-girl, and producer for ABC, Viacom, Showtime, and AMC Cable Television. She has also been involved in producing digital-based forms of entertainment. Shear has been an instructor at numerous universities across the U.S. from UCLA to Yale. Cher is the author of a book about working in Hollywood entitled Creative Careers in Hollywood. She also has a DVD called How to Pitch and Sell Your Screenplay. We'll discuss with her what it means to be successful in this business called entertainment and also some of her concerns for the future. Thank you for being on the show. First, I want to just get a little bit more background about you. Can you just give us a little bit of history about um, what you do as far as as a, a professor in this field? Uh, undergraduate from Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in broadcasting. I'm very proud of that. And a master's degree at DePaul University in Chicago in pop culture. Why pop culture? Because at the time, I had already been in the industry for uh, the entertainment industry for about 15 years, and then I decided I wanted to teach what I knew. So I went back to school and created my own um, part of a, of a liberal arts degree, and I found out that the evolution of cable, which I had been involved in, was part of pop culture, and that was the topic that they had at the time. So I just, I took that over just basic 
literature or English or media. What fields of studies do you teach at this time? Right now I teach mostly writing. I'm, I'm a writing mentor and um, I'm teaching screenwriting, television, uh, Bible writing and pilots and uh, many other forms of writing. But as far as media, that's the type of writing that I'm teaching right now. How do you view your profession in the field of media? I, I'm in academia right now, but I'm also a speaker and a professional speaker. I'm also an author uh, who has written a couple of books about working in the industry and about writing. I'm going to ask you some questions. All right, I'm going to play fill in the blank. So I'm going to start off and you finish this sentence. For example, in the field of media, I view myself as a... I'm a media goddess. That's what I call myself. <laughs> because I've had a lot of experience both in Hollywood and the entertainment industry. I've worked in television and cable production and development of scripts. I've worked with a lot of writers. I've produced a lot of television, a lot of tel bad movies of the week. Um, <laughs> when they were called movies of the week, right. uh, and I've also <laughs> right. I've also done independent films, and I'm also a writer. I'm also a teacher. I've produced web series. I've helped develop web series. So I've pretty much have done everything as far as media is concerned, except the full uh, Hollywood uh, multi-billion-dollar feature film through a studio. Uh, so I haven't done that, but all the other forms of, of media, which is now transmedia on all the different platforms, I've been involved in some form of either development or production. Can you share with us some of the projects you have worked on for broadcast and cable? Yeah, I worked at uh, Viacom Productions. So that, was, that included MTV, Showtime, VH1, Nickelodeon. And what happened at the time when Viacom purchased all of those other networks, I had been working with Viacom Productions and NBC, so typical broadcast Matlock, Jake and the Fat Man, I mean really old <laughs> dramatic series and lots of things that, that are no longer on, but a lot of pilots were made. And what happened was first run programming at all of those other networks, they came to us and said, what do, you, what do we need to do to develop pilots, to develop franchises, develop the Bibles for projects? And so that's where I became involved in a lot of stuff. Um, uh, for Nickelodeon, Rugrats and Doug and Ren and Stimpy, um, which a lot of my students know. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and, and Pete and Pete, and, um, you know, I can't even remember all of them. <laughs> uh, MTV, you know, early, early. Uh, I, I, Please don't say Beavis and Butthead. Well, that was involved, and Remote Control was the game show, and, of course, Real World. Um, New York, I wasn't, but the L.A. and the San Francisco house. I mean, the, the first ones, the old school. Um, so I was involved in a lot of really, really good original cable programming and and didn't realize it at the time that this was this was setting the precedent for an entire 500 channel universe now and and now it's gone to the next level of Netflix and and beyond so yeah. but the bot, but the, the story stays the same the, the interesting thing through all of it and seeing the evolution of television and cable and now just content the story remains the same. You still need to develop that Bible. You need to develop that, that franchise, whatever it is you're working with. So it's just the difference in the way it's being 
um, uh, consumed. Let's say that you're speaking to an inspired writer right now. What type of timeline in creating a scripted TV project would you suggest them to consider? For TV, scripted. yeah, scripted TV, one needs to really, really think through that project. Many, many people say, and I do agree, that the pilot episode, some folks begin with thinking, oh, it's the first episode. No, it should be the th first episode of the third season, because by that point in time, your, your characters are well into what they're doing in that show. So thinking through at least five seasons of a show is, is where you need to begin. And what I find with a lot of writers, um, they'll start with, oh, they've got a great idea for the first six or 12 episodes, and that's great. But then there's, they're not seeing beyond. They don't see the vision of where this thing is going to go in the second, third, fourth season. And we see this now for television, of course, but with Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and any of the stream, um, streaming and um, services, one is consuming those six or 12 episodes very, very fast. So if you're, if you're thinking with the way, you, the way people are going to be consuming, you really have to think through and keep going three, four, five seasons. So I'd say think bigger than where you begin. Switching back to academia just for a moment, do you see a lot of women in screenwriting classes and courses I see more now, yes, than I had in the past. What do you think were the obstacles then and now? Uh, perhaps they didn't think that they had anything to say. I, I, I think many women figured, oh, I just have another coming-of-age story, or I just have another romance, or I don't really have anything to say. And what I'm seeing now is a newer generation understands, yes, that's there, but they have their own spin on it. They have something new to say about that friendship between two women or whatever the case might be. So I, I think they're emerging because we're seeing a lot of other women that have been successful. You're listening to Prime Focus. We'll be back with our guests right after this song. back with Lori Shear and we're discussing as far as academia versus the corporate world in regards to the entertainment industry. 
Thank you so much for being on our show. Let's get right back into it. Next question is, do you think there is a disparity of female writers in TV and film? I, I think that um, in many of the, of the rooms, the writing rooms, um, when you get to the situation where there's six or 12 guys around a table, certainly within sitcoms, we've seen it, um, the comeback, the, the Lisa Kudrow show, the comeback, the first season, there isn't, uh, there, uh, she absolutely captured, if, if you really want to see the prejudice that goes on and what goes on amongst a writing room with guy writers writing for this older actress and what they say, that's what happens in the writer's room when it's just men. So it's tough for a woman to break in, but when you have a woman showrunner, as we've seen with, uh, you know, Shonda and, and um, Orange is the New Black and all of these, and, and Transparent and et cetera, et cetera. And those wonderful, yes, those are three wonderful examples, but we need many, many more. But we have had this breakthrough, and we've seen it in um, programming that's just a little bit different than the traditional programming that has been out there. So I'm excited about that, and I hope that that continues. But, it's tough for the woman writer to break into that that room, but I think we're getting past it. Is it hard for a female to sell a spec script? I I don't think that. Um, I think when a spec script appears on a table, mm-hmm. um, it's the script itself has to speak okay. has to has to speak for for itself, whether it's written by a man or a woman. Um, so I can't. I I don't. At least I don't evaluate content in any way, um, saying, "Oh, this is written by a woman. This is written by a man. Right. Therefore, it." I will read the script and then hopefully be pleasantly surprised <laughs> when I find out that it's written by a woman, and that's even a terrible statement to make, but it is the truth. Are there men in the field that you admire? Oh, um, well, I I think as far as as. <laughs> just consistent writing, Larry David. Yeah. Name some of the women in the field of screenwriting that you admire. Uh, the females, the three that I just mentioned, um, definitely are. You know, there's a voice. There's there's definitely um, taking a stand, and and doing something different, which we haven't seen. In with men or women, so it's really wonderful that they have been able to to get their voices out there. You had this successful career in the entertainment industry, and then you went into academia. Why? Why did you choose academia? Because I felt that I wasn't giving back enough, and I loved doing production. I loved development. Um, but I just said, you know, this isn't enough, and I really enjoy what I do. So I found that teaching was something that um, filled my well, and I needed to do it because every time you teach, you learn something too. So the the um, job of development, which I love, I love reading scripts, I love reading manuscripts, I love working with writers. When you're in the um, corporate world. 
you're under pressure to find something that's going to make a lot of money and that's that's the way it should be that's just that's just there but eventually the art falls away and the um the the essence of what the writer was trying to say because perhaps it isn't just ready for production yet so when you're in that corporate world you really have you're under that pressure to find something in academia you can nurture there that little there's that little gem the script might not be entirely perfect but there's something there and that's the working with the writer within a classroom within a workshop within a seminar that's what i've found i really enjoy sequencing is the number one thing which which is they don't understand they don't understand um, the progression of media and the prog progression of songwriting the progression of television of of movies in other words they may have read Twilight or have seen the movie Twilight the whole franchise they love it and they set out to write a vampire script that's fantastic but they know nothing about the history of the entire genre and and just the, the multitude of information of how that genre has been consumed over decades not only American but worldwide and in history and such and what I find is a lot of a lot of writers will just set out in their own with their blinders on and just I really like this genre and I'm going to start writing and they know nothing about the genre so my number one, um, what I really want them to know is to run the history of what has happened in that genre for two reasons. The first reason is know what has been done so that y you're well informed when you pitch your idea and someone says to you, well, that's a lot like Twilight. You'll be able to say, well, yes, but mine's better. <laughs> or here's why I wanted to put my spin on it, which leads to your spin, which is your own authentic version of that genre. Otherwise, we're just going to keep doing prequels and sequels and, and remakes and reboots. And I know there's a lot of authentic stuff out there. I see it. And, but I want people to educate themselves and arm themselves with what has happened so they can go forward with the genre. Switch it, change it, and be, put their mark on it. Make it their brand. I'm going to give you a series of words and I want you to define what they mean to you. Gender equality. Uh, gender equality is, going back to what I said earlier, being able to read a piece of content or watch a piece of content and, and not immediately understand or know that this was either produced by a male or a female. The work should speak for itself. Diversity. Um, one needs to overcome media everywhere it's just everywhere now we we are consuming it constantly and i just you know from poetry on the side of buses to uh to the newest ad for axe uh, deodorant to um to a new web series to a new episode of house of cards or whatever media content creator Someone who understands all of the platforms, understands what I just said, all of those, and understands how their content can literally fit on every one of those platforms. Showrunner. A very smart individual who understands the vision for the project they're working on at that time. Screenwriter. 
someone who writes with a visual eye understands how writing works in filmed entertainment versus on a page only. Cable. Um, almost outdated. I used to say broadcast. Well, I do say broadcast networks are dinosaurs. Cable, very close. <laughs> very close to being joining the dinosaurs. It's, it's, it's almost over. Film schools. Film school, uh, I love film schools. Um, I just, I, I love them. I just hope there's, I think anyone that wants to study media should, should attend in any capacity, in any way they can. Are you working on anything professionally at this time? Um, I professionally, I just finished a book, so I'm a little bit kind of working on the promotion of that book. Uh, but I am thinking about another book, yes. And, and I think it's going to have something to do with some advice for people who are en entering the entertainment industry. Um, and, and why so many, in addition to that, why so many people leave the entertainment industry by about the age 40. It's an interesting thing that I've seen, and I've seen it now happen with my students, with about two generations of students who are hitting, they're about 38, 39, and 40, and um, I'm in touch with them and have said things to me like, uh, you know, Lori, you taught us the skills we needed to be agents or producers or writers, whatever, but you never said that there'd be an entire new group of folks coming up wanting our jobs within about five or 10 years. I said, yeah, yeah, I never mentioned that. Because <laughs> you didn't need to know it at the time. <laughs> and that's not to discourage anyone. That's not to discourage anyone, because I've seen people, I've seen more people leave the industry, but those that stay have amazing careers. So it's, it's, it, 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 what is it that, that those that stay, um, what, ha what is it that they have and why the others have left? I, I find that a curious question. What are your future goals? I want to continue to get those emails and texts and calls from my students who have been successful. The student actually that I worked with here at Howard University who just sold a franchise at Comic-Con, a horror franchise at Comic-Con, and I'm just thrilled. I'm, you know, that's the kind of thing that I want to hear about. So my, my goals are to continue to nurture and, and help people realize their goals. Do you view yourself as successful and why? Absolutely. Because I've reached all the goals that I've wanted and I have many more obviously, but I achieved what I wanted to achieve. I went from assistant at a network to vice president of programming for a cable network, launching a cable network. Um, an entirely wonderful career and in addition writing books and now teaching to the point that I can have other help other people reach those same goals. What are your concerns for the future? Um, I'm, I'm very concerned that going back to the question of knowing the, the sequencing in the history of media, I'm concerned that with short attention spans and the way we are consuming media in such fast quick bites that we're losing nutritious quality programming 
And there's a place and time for the short story, the short web series, the short, um, quick short film, all of that, absolutely. But there's also a place for the miniseries and the long form, uh, 12 part, uh, important BBC documentary, etc. And and I think we're losing we're losing some quality and and um, we're snacking too much. We, we, I want to make sure that individuals who are going to be producing media are um, responsible and will continue to produce nutritious media for everyone to, to learn from, to be inspired, to be entertained, and that we're not just doing quick, fast bites of, of entertainment and content only. You're listening to Prime Focus. We'll be right back with our next guest right after this. We're just going to take a little bit break before we go into our next guest as far as we're going to give you a little bit of information about the entertainment world as far as the news that's going around. Two particular subjects that we want to talk about that's been in the news for the probably the past two weeks and also highlighted on our Twitter feed at inherwords.org is this new nonprofit production company. Now, Jessica Tandy, Queen Latifah, Juliette Binoche, Frida Pinto, and Catherine Hartwick are a part of the newly advisory board that was created for this new nonprofit company called We Do It Together. The production company will focus on female empowered films, TV, and other media platforms. Now, what's interesting about this new production company is that they will work with male and female directors, actors, producers to develop a slate of female gender-led films and help generate opportunities for emerging voices within the industry. We Do It Together production has been quoted to be saying this, we hope in the future we won't have a need for dedicated niche financing for films by and about women. Film has always possessed the power to defy conventions and challenge hearts and minds. And this power and potential must be harnessed to challenge the current archaic norms related to women in, in, within the entertainment industry. We feel that the way to make this a real re reality is to give women from around the world a concrete way to express themselves and an ongoing structure that will ensure that these stories will be financed and distributed. You can read the complete article about this new nonprofit production company online at HollywoodReporter.com. In celebrating Women's International History Month, I wanted to share this news, which has been out there for a while, but I wanted just to highlight it a little bit, and that is ABC naming the first black woman to head a broadcast network. Paul Lee has stepped down as president of the ABC Entertainment Group. His successor has been named, and it is Channing Dungy. Um, Channing Dungy has been an ABC executive vice president for drama development films and miniseries for the Walt Disney Company. She has also shepherded ABC, ABC hits like Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, and the new hit 
that's out there right now, Quantico. The changeover comes a year after Ben Sherwood became president of ABC Disney TV Group and nearly six years after Lee started as the entertainment chief. Dungey is both the first black network programming chief and a rare female executive. Change has come faster for women than minorities in the TV executive rank with Jennifer Selke serving as NBC's entertainment president and at Fox Television Group Dana Walden sharing chair and CEO duties with Gary Newman. Dungey's appointment as ABC's entertainment president comes at a time of increased scrutiny of Hollywood's lack of diversity on and off the camera, with attention focused recently on the Oscars' all-white slate of nominees for this year's award ceremony for actors. Dungey is a graduate of UCLA's School of Theater, Film, and Television and has been with ABC since 2004, starting with ABC Studios. She worked previously with production companies and as a production executive at Warner Brothers, handling films including Bridges of Madison County and The Matrix. Each week we'll highlight some films that will be coming out by directors who are of the female persuasion. Um, two that are coming out in March that you want to be on the lookout for is called The Miracles of Heaven. This one is by director Patricia Riggins. Riggins is the director of 33, the movie about the Chilean minor disaster and the miners that were caught um, underground. 33 was released last year and she already has a follow-up with this new film called Miracles of Heaven. Miracles of Heaven is about um, the adaption of Christy Beam's memoirs. The author whose sick daughter was miraculously cured is being portrayed by Jennifer Gardner. The film will be released in theaters March 18th. Another movie to look out for is The Invitation. The Invitation is directed by Karen Kasuma. Karen Kasuma is no stranger to the horror slash suspense genre. She has directed the film Jennifer's Body and this film, The Invitation, is about a man who's been invited to a dinner party to his former home by his ex-wife and her new husband. He feels that his ex-wife and her new husband has sinister intentions for their guests. This indie horror movie debuted at South by Southwest last year and has already won several awards already. The film will be released March 25th into theaters. Thank you for staying with us. You are listening to Prime Focus. Our next guest is Garland Waller. Waller is a producer, writer, and educator. She began her producing career with the nationally syndicated TV show, The World of People. She produced a wide array of award-winning documentaries for WBZ-TV in Boston. Her first independent documentary was the groundbreaking work Little Justice, Little Justice in American Family Courts. The widely praised work was the winner of the Best Social Documentary at the New York International Independent Film and Video Festival in 2001. The documentary also won the Award for Excellence in Media at the 8th International Conference for Family Violence. 
Waller is currently the director of the graduate television program at Boston University. Thank you so much for being on our show. First, I want to get a little bit more background about who you are. So give us a little bit more information about what you do at Boston University. Well, I'm the director of the TV graduate program okay. at Boston University's College of Communication. Okay. Okay. So, but, but, but I do, I've been teaching okay. for not, uh, probably, I think it's 16 or 17 years. So I've been teaching uh, courses in producing, writing, uh, that kind of course. And then I have one special course that I love called Hot House Productions which is a class that's a student-run, uh, client-driven production company. In the professional world, corporate world, what is your field of expertise? Well, I, I think of myself as a producer. Okay. I still think of myself as a producer and a professor, but certainly a producer. While I've been at Boston University, I've produced two independent documentaries. Before that, I worked for uh, WBZ-TV, which was then an NBC affiliate. What was your first media job? My first media job was a result of my first media internship. I got an internship at a new program called Evening Magazine, which actually went on to become PM Evening Magazine and syndicated throughout the country. It was one of the first syndicated magazine shows. And so that was where I did my internship. And that, I went to my boss and I said, may I please produce a segment for Evening Magazine? I'll do it for free. I just want the experience. And he said, well, I'll pay you $25, but yeah, you can produce it. And that video story went national on the on the national reel so they immediately hired me as a freelance producer and that was the beginning of my real career in television as a director of a graduate program for a university do you feel there is a balance of women in the field of media well since i've also been on the hiring committee yeah. for a couple of years now yeah. it's getting more even yeah. <laughs> Because, um, you know, I, I really, really believe women have to help each other. And that doesn't mean I pick or support a woman over a man if the woman were not as good. But if, if it's equal, and in the cases that we've had, it's been better, you know, I'm happy to put forth uh, getting more women on the faculty. So I think right now it's still not even, we still... I'm not sure what the number is, but it's probably two-thirds men, one-third women, which is better than it was when I started, so by a lot. Let's talk about students for a moment. Females versus males. Why do you think there is a difference in the development levels between the two genders? I'm not going to answer your question exactly the way you've asked it. Okay. I hope, hope you forgive me. No, not a problem. When I look out at my classes and see the male faces versus the female faces. It's changed dramatically since I started teaching. There are far more women in my classes. But what I say to the students on the first day of class is, look around at each other. Because the few men in the class 
are going to be your bosses. And you may rise through the company, but it's going to be easier for them because that's the system. I also say to them, and if you use that quote, I want you to be sure to add this part. These women are terrific women, and in our program, they have been doing really well in the business. And I think in part it's because they've had some really strong female producers who have said, go get them. Go get them. And they're good kids. They're smart, young, dynamic women. And they're hardworking women. And they deserve to be promoted. But I still believe we have a system where it's easier for the men to get promoted than it is for the women to get promoted. So do you think there's a disparity between men and women in key positions in the media industry as a whole? You'd have to be nuts not to think that way. Um, are there good men in the business? Of course there are. And are there men who look out and really nurture and support women? Absolutely. But the system really is one that has kept women from sort of moving full steam ahead the way we talk about them before they get to junior high school where they don't know what they can't do so they boom go ahead well business reminds you it gives you the pushback um i i t i had one student say to me you know in in our classroom the, the the men speak more than the women do even though they're more women and i said if you're waiting for the men to give you an opportunity and invite you to join the conversation, you will never get ahead. You have got to get comfortable with your own assertiveness. It is not ugly. It is not bad. It, is a, it, it needs to be a sort of central part of who you are and how you operate. But you have to do it because nobody's going to do it for you. Garland, that's good advice. That's very good advice. From your own experience, what would be some other nuggets that you could give females who are emerging into this industry? Well, I've started giving this little nugget. Okay. I read a great book called Mansplaining. Have you heard of it? No. Well, you, you gotta read it because it's a great, you've all gotta read it. <laughs> you do. <laughs> it's a great book. And it starts with the story that this woman tells of how she was at a party and a certain subject came up and the man, a man was chatting with her about this subject and started to explain things to her about this issue. And she said, oh, you know, that was my first book. And he goes on to explain more about what he knows about the subject. And she went through this period of did I miss this book? He hadn't named the book. Anyway, long story short, it was her book that he was explaining to her. Hence, mansplaining, where a man explains to a woman something she already knows. So I feel that that's an important story to, to share with men and women, because I think that happens a lot in business. We'll be right back after this score by Laura Cartman called Alley's Fire.
We are continuing our conversation with Mrs. Garland Waller. You were in the industry and then you moved to academia. Why? Well, the reason I chose academia was because I could raise my kid if I stayed in academia or if I went into academia because I was never going to see my kid if I stayed a producer. Now, I was older when I had a child, so I had a full, happy and successful career that was great, that for me was great. So I really did believe that I would not be able to see my child very often if I stayed in the business where I'm traveling five days a week, get home on the weekend, go into work for a little bit. I remember my first husband, and it was my first husband, uh, said, well, I think you really need to make an effort to be home at six o'clock so that we can all have dinner together. And I thought, what world are you in? You know, that is so not TV. So anyway, yeah, that was marriage number one. Yeah. What are some of your goals as director of the television graduate program at Boston University? My goal, my goals change. I've produced two independent documentaries while being a professor and raising a family. And frankly, that's pretty hard. So I found myself saying to people the other day, I'm never going to produce anything again. But I started talking to my father not long ago, who's 90. And I said, tell me about the war. Tell me. And it was this extraordinary story, extraordinary story of a man who survived the sinking of the Leopoldville and so much more, which I won't bore you with, but I thought, I want to go back to France with him. I want to cross the English Channel with him. I want to do, not a big documentary, little, little small short. It's a good story with lots of visuals and I want to do it while he's still alive. So, so bigger goals, bigger goals would be to be a producer who produces quality, thoughtful work of integrity. That's my goal. This is something that I do with every guest. I give you a word and I want you to define what it means to you. In the field of media, I am... I am a producer. Why? Well, because I've spent most of my life producing documentaries or specials or short videos. That's, that's how I would define what I do in media. Gender equality. Gender equality. The word? Was it, what does it mean to you? Well, it means that we, gender equality means that we work in a world where both genders, all genders, <laughs> are respected for the quality of their work and their integrity as people. Diversity. Boy, that still feels like the word would have to be dream. We are a long way from that. It's the goal, 
It's an important goal. But boy, it's been an uphill battle. It has been the part of my life where I've grown and gotten support and encouragement. It's the place for me where I left a small town in Virginia and found place to make a difference, to work, to grow, to change. Documentary. Well, that, that I have found is my heart's desire. So that would be the word that, that I would use. I, I've produced two documentaries. One is Small Justice, Little Justice in America's Family Courts, and the other is No Way Out But One. And they're both they were both documentaries that I made after I left the business of television. And I wanted to produce something that I felt made a difference. And both of them focus on different aspects of how, in America, if you beat your wife and physically or sexually abuse your child and go after custody, most of the time you will get it. And I'm committed to using the skills that I have to make a difference so that women and children don't have to be hurt with the blessing of a family court. Media content creator. Well, media content means taking the world around us, capturing it, and sharing it. That's what it means to me. Because there's so many ways to do that now with technology. It doesn't matter how you do it. But I'm a big believer that the medium and the message are connected. As a mother, career woman, wife, what advice could you give a woman in the same position who's in this career field? Marry a good man because that is so central. And I'm not the only person that says it. Cheryl, lean in. Cheryl. Okay. I'm sorry, but I do know you're talking about. Lean in. Yes. She says it. Um, I can't believe I've forgotten her last name, but uh, in Lean In, she talks about the best decision she ever made in her life was to marry a husband who was loving and supportive and shared in the family. You know, women give up a lot for their careers, and it's not it's not usually what people think they give up. What they're forced to confront is their love of their partner and their love of their children and their commitment to both of those people and the work that they love because we still have a system that does not make this equal or fair. And that's what we have to get to. That's the point. But in my second marriage, I got somebody who is my biggest cheerleader and who does the dishes. So that's what we're talking about. Not good luck honey and then you come home to a dirty house and kids who were not taken care of. It's a partner and, and I've been lucky too because my children have been my supporters so they understand too so they support. So my advice is get a good man or woman or a woman but 
find what works for you, but just make sure you've got a system of support. We're at the end of our interview with you. I really appreciate you being here, but do you have anything else that you just want to share with our audience? Ed, is that I went into this business when Barbara Walters was the only woman on television. I mean, if there were other women, we didn't see her and or them. And she was the one that I said, I want to be like her. And during that span of time, so many women have become part of the media. And honest to God, I feel like that's the hope of the world. It is the balance that we seek. And women who have integrity, who make a commitment to sharing whatever message is deep in them, we're golden. Thank you again for listening to Prime Focus. As always, remember, do not be afraid to unleash your power to create. We're going to close out the show with this last score from Steven Spielberg's 2003 miniseries Taken. It is called Alley is Gone by composer Laura Karpman. Thank you for listening to Prime Focus. Prime Focus is a radio program sponsored by the IHW Foundation. Music on today's episode is sponsored by the Alliance of Women in Film Composer. To learn more about Prime Focus, the IHW Foundation, and the Alliance of Women in Film Composers, visit our website at www.inherwords.org.